Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary. I'm glad that you have joined us here. For those of you in person with us today, we're so glad to see you this morning. Uh, And for those joining us uh, online, it's great to have you in this uh, gathering with us as we open God's Word. I'm really excited about what we're going to learn about love. Uh, Before I do, I want to just say appreciation last Sunday uh, for uh, Chris Goodman, who was able to speak for us. And uh, they've now uh, taken their next step in their their journey. And uh, so we're praying, continue to pray for them. I also want to thank all of those who were, came yesterday and helped load up their, their vehicles so that they could move. We had a, just a great group of people, a great crew. So thank you for those of you who, uh, you know who you are. And thank you for doing that yesterday. It was such a great help to them. And what we're talking about in that help yesterday is a great example of the word that we're going to be speaking of today. We're talking about love. Love obviously is a familiar term. None of you are new. It's not a new word in your vocabulary. It's a beautiful word, powerful word. It's also a word that um, is misunderstood in many ways. It can also be a very painful four-letter word. So I'm hoping that what we're going to learn today is going to help us get a better understanding. So I found some quotes that I uh, saw several years ago. We had asked, they asked some kids uh, ages four to eight, their impression of what does it mean to love? What does love mean? And if you notice the face on there, that's one of our own Leighton, and she's got her glasses on her lap. She's thinking about this one. So I, I love the fact of, of the picture. But let me give you some of the quotes. What does love mean according to, to kids? Number one, love is when a girl puts on perfume, a boy puts on shaving cologne, and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> I, I like that, right? Okay, look at this next one. Love is, according to number two, love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Brad Pitt. <laughs> All right, any of you, rela- any, okay, as of yesterday, that was a big one. Uh, number three, love is what's in the room. I like this. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening the presents and listen. That's, that's pretty good, right? Listen to the last one. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget, all right? What does it mean to love? What are we talking about? Here's what we know. All of us want to be loved, uh, but the truth is you can't buy love. I could write a song about that, right? Can't buy me love. Anyway, can't buy love, can't earn it. It's not something. Here's what we know about love. It's something only that you can receive and you can give. And the Bible is just full of this idea of love. Old, New Testament, weaved all the way through is this understanding of love. We, we obviously, right off the bat, we understand the love of God and the great sacrifice, the great verse that we, we talk about for God so loved. We know that that's weaved in there. But when Jesus was here, he took it to a whole nother level when he said this. He said that love is the distinguishing mark of those who will follow him. Let me show you what he said. John 13, we've seen this before. Verse 34, just hours before he's going to go to the cross, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. Next verse is what we find so intriguing. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, tell me, love one another. 
the distinguishing mark of the followers of Christ is the love that we will show. Now, in case they missed it, same night, just a different part of the conversation, a few verses later, chapter 15, verse number 12, look what Jesus said. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And just to make sure that they got it, just a few seconds later, verse number 17, he says this, this is what I command you, look, tell me, love one another. All right? So Jesus is telling us how important this idea of loving one another, and, and it's something that is so clear, it's very, very plain, I loved you, so you should love one another, period. I mean, that makes sense, it just kind of rolls off the tongue, we say it in church all the time, you hear it, you see it on, uh, on the walls of people's houses, love one another, but the very fact that Jesus had to repeat it at least three times in one night, and it's repeated so often in Scripture, kind of tells me that it may not be as easy as it sounds. To love one another the way we're told, to love as God is going to, to design for us, is difficult. There are people in our lives that are going to be difficult to love. Let's face it, some days you're difficult to love. Loving one another, loving as God is called, becomes something that we need to continue to grow and to learn in. And we've already seen it. We've been in Romans. We're looking through the last few chapters of the book of Romans, and we, we're jumping off of that one verse. It's so incredible. Chapter 12 and verse number 2, and that's our whole series, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then the next verses are talking about how that God is changing us from the inside out, but he talks about our part in this change is we're going to have to have our minds renewed. We're going to have to have a change of the way we think, not like the, the, all the world around us and the people's philosophy and opinions. We're going to have to have our minds renewed because how we think is how we're going to act. And we put that into practice, and God is showing us these, these attitude shifts that we need to have. And one of the things that we've already learned is he talks about love. Go down a few verses in chapter 12, and he says in verse number 9, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. That means we need a love that's authentic, that's genuine. The, the word literally is a, a, a love without the mask. A love where you, you love in, in this, this way that's vulnerable, and that, that's the love. But many people, scholars tell us that that phrase may actually be kind of a title for the whole next section. This is about sincere love. And then he begins to talk about what that love looks like. In fact, verse number 10, the very next couple verses down, be devoted to one another in love. So this whole section, love sincere, be devoted, love one another, all that God is trying to get us to understand of this is how you love, these are ways that you love, this is the people that you're supposed to love, and all of this that he's telling us. And now today, we're going to go to Romans chapter 13. We're going to be looking at three specific verses, verses 8 through 10. And Paul now takes this idea of love, and he adds a different dimension to it way as, as followers of Christ that we need to look at love the way that God describes. We've already seen aspects, but now he's going to add a whole, word, a whole idea with one word that we're very familiar with, with, and that's the word debt. In fact, you're going to see how that all applies. So today, here's what we're going to talk about. We're talking about transformed, I owe you love. We're going to see as, as we renew our minds, as God changes us, we're going to see what God calls the, the, what we have as believers. We, I, I owe you love. There is a debt that God has in mind for us when it comes to this word. Let me read the verses. Verse eight, number 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, I would know that the Roman culture, which he wrote in, that may have looked a little different than it does for us, but they weren't unfamiliar with it. They understood what he was talking about. But don't you find that phrase or that, that verse interesting? Verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. He speaks of the love. He tells us as believers that there's one debt that should always be on your ledger, and that debt is to love others, to love one another. Let's, let's look at it this way. It's kind of unpack these verses we go through. First thought I want you to grab is this. As Christians, followers, we should very simply pay our debts fully. I mean, that's, that's one of the givens. As you're reading through this, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the debts, you should, you should pay your debts. Here's something we t- talked about a couple weeks ago, if you were with us. In th- the start of chapter 13, we looked at a phrase that many of us were not fond of. In fact, when I said it, many of you kind of cringed. I saw it. And that is, do what you're told. Remember that? And all of us are like, oh, I don't like to be told what to do. We, we kind of cringed at that. And then later in that same message, we heard this phrase, pay your taxes. I had people, I had all kinds of letters. And, no, not really. I had a few. But anyway, no, all kinds. Those are big words. Well, today, let me give you another one. I owe you. It's not a phrase that we find very, very pleasant I owe you. There's a debt that is involved, and it's one that we need to pay. But he started it actually where we looked last time, verse number seven. Look what he says. Pay to all what is owed them. And then he describes that could be taxes. That could be the revenue. That could be the customs. But then he goes on to say, and the respect and the honor that those who live by those taxes deserve because of their position. Those are all things that we owe And then he goes into verse 8, where we're at today. Let no debt remain outstanding. Or another version says it this way. Owe no one anything. Now, I stop there because that particular phrase has been a a topic of discussion among theologians and preachers for years. There are some to take that to say that as a follower of Christ, you should should never have debt at all. And some of them really live by that, that debt... but. The reason the discussion comes is the rest of Scripture doesn't necessarily categorically say Christians shouldn't have debt. In fact, there are places, Old and New Testament, that talk about how we are to handle debt from both perspectives. If you're a lender, don't charge exorbitant interest. If you're a borrower, make sure you pay off your debt. The, the Bible seems to allow for that. But Proverbs chapter 22 also gives us a huge principle when he says this, the borrower is slave to the lender. Here's the principle. No matter what it is, whether you feel manageable or not, the point is when you owe someone something, they have a measure of control over your life. Because you owe them something, there's something about you. And so he he talks about that that idea of the the slavery that could be involved. Now, as Americans, uh, we're not unfamiliar with debt, right? Let me give you some examples. Just this, I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's actually a clock that is, they call it the debt clock that kind of keeps track of our national debt. As of Friday, June 25th, right? 25th, yeah, as the 25th, the national debt for the United States of America is 28, over $28.4 trillion. That means over 85 
$1,333 per citizen of the United States is what that works out to. And it's continuing to climb. The clock is continuing to spin. And we, we may have heard of another state that has some issues. The state of Illinois has a debt of $170 billion. That's another $13,400 per Illinois citizen. Wow, we've got, some, we've got some issues, right? You understand that debt? Well, let's move it from, from those <laughs> stupid numbers to some numbers maybe we understand. Let's talk about consumer debt just a little bit. There was an amazing thing. 2020, which I found interesting, was one of the biggest years on history of people paying off credit card debt. Paid over $83 billion of credit card debt. That's great. That's great. However, still to this day, the average American household owes over $8,000 in credit card debt, not including all the other debt. We have over 14 point some trillion dollars in consumer debt among Americans. Okay, so we understand the idea of debt, and we also understand some of the slavery, as this verse says, that comes with that. Some of the, you feel overwhelmed, you want to, maybe it's your wit's end, every time you pay that bill, you're wondering if I'm going to be able to pay it again, or when am I ever going to get out of this? We understand that pressure, that, that understanding, and so now look at what Paul is telling us, you know, I owe, I owe, that's, I, off to work I go, you know, and we get that, we understand the principle. But now, see what Paul's doing. He's taking that picture of debt, Christians, pay your debts, and he's going to now transfer that as an illustration of how we're to love one another. So we understand about debt. Now he, he moves that to, to another understanding of how we are to, to love each other. Look at that verse again. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. We're going to see two words that Paul uses here about Christians and how we're to love. Love is a debt and love is a command. Now, those two words kind of help us understand things about love. Often when we think of love, we think of it in emotional, the feeling side of love. And we, and we do hope that with love, there's that pleasant feeling that comes with it. And often it does. But here's one of the points he's making. Love's bigger than that. Loves more than a feeling. Because here's the thing. If I love simply because I feel like loving, then if I don't feel very loving to you today, then I don't have to love if it's based off the feeling. Or if at some point I don't love you like I used to love you, then I don't have to show that love because it's, it's just a, a feeling. The truth is, many of us have probably heard this in some form or another, and it often comes in the, in the marriage relationship. Here's how it starts. It's so romantic, right? I fell in love with that. You know, I, he, he was so good looking and he had those bulging biceps. I mean, that's what my wife said anyway. I don't know where that came from, but you, you know, you hear that and it's just such, he, and I just felt, I couldn't help myself. I fell in love. All that sounds so romantic. Here's the problem. I've also heard on the other side, people say, you know, a few years, we just fell out of love with one another. As if it's something just that simple. I, I fell out of a hammock last year and broke my wrist. You know, I couldn't help myself, right? Is that, that's kind of how we put love in the same category. Here's what he's trying to tell us with those two words. Love is, is, it has emotion, but it comes as a part of your will. It comes as a choice. Love is something that we can see as these two words in a way that God wants us to understand that it is both a debt and a command. Let me show you what I mean. If we go on, it's about debt, the continuing debt to love one another. Here's what we know. Love is a debt that we will never fully pay. Love is a debt, according to him, that's a continuing 
debt, one that we will always, we will always see as a part of it. One of the original church leaders, his name was Origen, gave this quote or gave this paraphrase of this verse. Let me read it for you. Let your only debt that is unpaid be that of love, a debt which you should always be attempting to discharge in full but will never succeed in discharging. It is a debt which we pay every day and forever owe. Christians, we need to renew our minds that this idea of love that God has called us to love one another, he repeats it over and over, is, is a debt that we owe. It is a, it's an understanding that we need to have as, as followers of Christ that I owe others in my life, the ones that come, I, it's a debt that I am to pay. I'm a Christian. I pay my debts. And here's the debt that God has called me to pay. Let me give you another example. Romans chapter 1, Paul uses the same word that we talked about as debt, but he uses it, most of our translations, it's translated a different word. Here's what he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. He said, I am obligated. Now, obligated is the same word we just saw. I am a debtor. He said, I am obligated. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. <laughs> obligated. That's going to cause some stir amongst some Christians because well, I hear you should never, as a Christian, never feel obligated to do anything. You should always do it just because you want to, not because you have to. Granted, that is the motivation behind this. It should be that I'm doing this out of this sense of, of my love, but there, no, let's, let's know for honest here that there are times when that's tough. And I don't feel like loving or that, that's tough that I, 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 I've got to understand that this love isn't something that just comes and I do it when, I, when it, it, it's convenient or I do it because it, it's, a, it's a great time to do it. This love that he calls for is something that I am indebted to pay continually on an ongoing, on a daily basis. I'm, I'm obligated. Here's, here's what's interesting. That word obligated in Romans 1 He's obligated, and we knew in context, to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. He has experienced the powerful gospel of God that changed his life. And because of that experience, because he has received so much from that, he says, now I am a debtor to tell that to others, to share that with others. And so then he spends the next 11 chapters of Romans talking about this gospel and specifically telling us how that that gospel is all about the love of God. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? So he's been telling us now, I've experienced his gospel, which is all about experiencing his love. So we get to Romans 13. He's saying, listen, if you've experienced the love of God that has changed your life, then you have this huge debt of, based on what God has done for you. Jesus loved you. Now you're to share that love with others. You are, he uses that term, you are now in debt, you are now obligated to, in fact, here's how John put it, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can circle the word ought, it's the same basic word we talk about, it's, you're indebted, you're, this is what you're to do as a Christian, you ought, because of God's love to you, you ought to love one another. I am I am motivated now by the debt that I have to love others. Here's what we know. This debt, we owe this debt to, to all people. It's interesting. He makes it clear. If you look at some of the phrases, he talks, first of all, in verse 8, love one another. Now, that's a phrase that, that we see usually in the New Testament when those words come together or something like that. He's talking to 
those of us in the faith, brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to love others that are also believers. And he makes it very clear the things we're to do. And there's so many one another's in the New Testament that you can look at. And this is how I'm supposed to treat believers. But, but he moves on in these verses, and he's already done it in chapter 12, but he moves on to loving others. Same verse. And this, this next part of the verse, he talks about one translation is the word others is different. It's his neighbor. Or the Jewish Bible says to love your human, the other human beings, right? It's, it's now not just believers. It's, it's those your neighbors, those around us. And then he also goes on to love your neighbor and to a neighbor, all in that passage. So here's what Paul's done. He's saying, listen, this love that you are in debt to give to others is for all. It's for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's for the neighbor who you're gonna, you, you live next to, you're going to work uh, next to. It's for the people that maybe you like and maybe you're not too fond of. It's, it's all, in, in fact, here's what I find interesting. Some people have, have looked at the verses we looked at last time, the first part of chapter 13, as kind of an interruption of Paul's thoughts. Because he ends chapter 12 with loving everyone, including your enemies. And then he goes to chapter 13, he says, now, be subject to the governing authorities. And we looked at that. And, 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 and now he jumps back into and makes sure that you love one another. And people say, well, it's some kind of interruption, like a parenthesis in there. I, I think as you read it, it wasn't an interruption at all. He said, love those who are hard to love, <laughs> including sometimes your governing authorities. Some of the, the people he's writing to, the Romans, some of the hardest people in the world for them to truly love would be those Romans who were in charge of them. And he's looking them in the face and he says, you're to love all people, your neighbors, your, the, the enemies, those who are even persecuting you. Love all people, including those in governing authority, whether you necessarily agree with them politically, you can still love them. Here's the point. Our love that God says we're indebted to is for all people. And, but here's the, here's the exciting part. We pay this debt of love from the, from the overflow of, the, of what God is doing his love in us. For us to say, I got to love all these people, we go, I, I can't. You're right. You don't have the capacity to do this on your own. First John tells us this, though. We love because he first loved us. We, you, what starts with that understanding of you've received the gift of salvation, the gospel is changing your life. What do you, you have received the God's love. And because you've received his love, you now will have a resource in which you can love others. You have the love, the capacity to do so. But you say, but as a Christian, I still, I, I still don't feel like I can do this on my own. And I would again say, you're exactly right. You don't have, humanly speaking, the ability to love the way God loves, but God has given you that ability, and as you grow in your love with him, you will also find your capacity, your bandwidth, if you would, to be able to love others, to increase. And God can say, you can do this because I will give you the resource. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Paul was praying for his friends. He said, I, I pray be, uh, for you being rooted and established in love that you may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I pray you just keep growing and knowing what, who God is and his love. But look at the next phrase. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God that you grow in that love so that you're filled up with that love. So you have a, an ability to love because God's love is filling you and fully. That's the whole point is that you can do this, Christian. You, God has called you. You're indebted. He has given you this ability because of his love growing. But never forget, you will never exhaust your debt of love. 
This is an ongoing love that will, as long as you're here, there is this death that God has, has shown us that we have because of the love, because of how we grow in love and, and actually how we realize God's love in us and we see the needs around us. He then enables us and that love continues to grow. But here's the thought. If this is an example, Paul, you're talking about debt and now you're applying this debt to love, what, can I, what could I learn from this? Here's something that, that grabbed my attention. When I was... Um, a few years ago, my wife and I were introduced to a, to a young man some of you have heard of. His name was Dave Ramsey. How many of you have heard of Dave Ramsey? Okay. Okay, Dave Ramsey, big thing about Dave Ramsey is uh, if you're in debt, let's get out of debt. And, if you're, and, and live without debt. And don't be a slave to, your, to those who you borrow from. All of that. That's, that's his big thing. But he, this one illustration that he always gives is the illustration of the gazelle. And the gazelle is this, is that that's our life, and gazelle is so fast, but there is a cheetah that wants that gazelle for lunch, and that cheetah is your debt, and the whole point is this, you should run like your life depends on it to get away from that one that wants you for lunch, right? And so you run like a gazelle. So here's what it means in debt words. That means you may have to sacrifice some things. You may have to cut out Starbucks here and there. You may have to make some, some uh, decisions so that you can get rid of that debt and you stay away from from that cheetah that wants your life, okay? So think about that. We go after, we do whatever we can. We get a second job, we give plasma, whatever it takes to get rid of that debt, that cheetah that is hounding us. Now let's apply that to the fact that God says we owe this debt of love. And we owe this to all people. Do we go after that love for others in the same way that we would we want to get out of the debt that's about to consume us? Do we go, or, or is it more like, you know, well, I, I didn't really have an opportunity today. It didn't, nothing really came across my tape. Or do we go after this debt and say, I'm going to do whatever I can to pay the debt that I owe, the love that God, out of the love that God has given me. And, and maybe that will mean some self-sacrifice or self-discipline, but I am, I am going to pay this debt as God has given me the resources. Here's how Paul put it to his friends in Philippians chapter 2. He talks about having the same love. He said, being one in spirit and one in mind. Now look how he describes it. Do nothing. You want to talk about a gazelle kind of feel for debt? Look what he says. Do nothing, next verse, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's the way we attack this debt of love is we're putting others' interests above our own and whatever that looks like. And we're putting what the, the love that God has. He said, I, they, well, come, every person you meet, there's an opportunity for you to share his love. So you go after that debt and you do whatever it takes as you would going after that, that debt that hangs over your head. Does that make sense? Here's what he's saying. Love is a debt. But he also says in this passage that love is a command. And it's a command that according to to Paul here, it fulfills all commands. Now, Jesus told us there was two great commands, command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He, he t- gives us those commands, and now in, in this passage, he, it, it's interesting that he uses a command again because if it's a command, that means that we are going to need to be reminded, and it's probably not going to come easy. This loving others is a difficult prospect, but it's what God has called us to do. And we're, we're indebted. He's trying to help our motivation. Now he says, and you have a command from the Lord himself to love others. Look how he uses it in this verse. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
verse 9, whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command, and we know it's to love your neighbor. And then verse 10, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you, if you will focus and you will pursue loving your neighbor as, and, and loving as God has called us, he says, then all the other laws, all the other commands fall into place. It starts with loving others, and you'll see all the others make sense in in your life. Look, look what he does. He says, we have a measure for this love. It's already in place. Notice how he says it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the first time that that particular phrase is used is in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. Scholars tell us that that is probably the most repeated verse in all of the scriptures. Because at least nine times, those exact words are repeated. Love your neighbor as yourself. But I've said it before, it is the most repeated, but I also think it may be the most misappropriated, misunderstood, misinterpreted verse in all of the scriptures, especially in recent days. Because there are some people that would say that what he's implying here is there's a third command. Love God, love your neighbor, but you got to love yourself. And in fact, all of the personal issues we have are just, are, are, can be fa- gone back to our self-esteem issues and not loving ourselves enough. There's some, there's some things we can talk about, and maybe that all sounds good in psychology, but that's not the theology of these verses. That's not what God's telling us. There's not a third great command. He's not saying, I command you to love yourself. What he's saying is there is an innate within us, created by, given by our creator, there is a love that we have for ourselves. We not like ourselves sometimes, and we have some esteem issues. I get this, but down deep, we take care of ourselves, we feed ourselves, we clothe ourselves. We also give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in so many cases. Think about it. How many times would life be so much better if your boss just treated you better? Or if your, your spouse wasn't such a problem. If your kids weren't so incorrigible. If your neighbor wasn't just such a snoot. If, all, if these people would get their act together, it would make life perfect, right? Because it's never, it's never me. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt whenever, because that's what we do. We love ourselves. We give ourselves that, that freedom. In fact, one man put it this way. What Paul and Jesus, what, what uh, the Moses was trying to tell us is we need to extend the same grace to other faulty sinners that we extend to this faulty sinner. That we give them the same latitude, the same grace. Here, here's, what I would, here's how I would say it. It's not so much that we love, that I need to love myself more, It's that I, number one, need to love God more, but then also understand that God loves me most. Let me say it again. It's not so much loving myself more, it's loving God more and knowing that God loves me most. This morning I was, um, as I started my day, a verse was brought to my attention that just kind of, brought this home to me. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 talks about giving glory to God for who he is. But in the middle it says he deserves glory because he created all things and he created them for his pleasure. He was pleased with his creation. But what stuck out in my mind is I realized I'm one of those creations. He made me. So that means he's pleased with me. He likes what he made. He, he put this person together, and he's pleased with me, and I would say the same for you. You were created. I was, I was formed in my mother's womb, according to Psalm 139, because God did that, and he's pleased with that. He goes, that's, that's a good job. 
He's pleased with me. And then I take that to the fact that he's not only pleased with me, he sent his son to die for me. I'm an object of that love and I've received that love. Here's the thing. You don't have to love yourself more to understand loving others. You love God more and you realize that God loves you. God has a plan for you. God has designed and he even gave his son to make that all possible. The standard is we love others the way that God has shown us we love ourselves. But this verse also tells us we're to love, that love demands both our feelings and our actions. To say that I love, to feel love, it's all fantastic stuff. But Paul does something interesting here. He, he uses four of the big ten from the Old Testament, right? Most of us have heard him. We've seen him on the wall somewhere. He mentions four. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. I think the point's kind of obvious, don't you? If you love people, you're not going to do this to them. These are not loving actions. That kind of makes sense, right? That if you say, I love, and you do this, eh, really? That's, that's his point. For instance, let's take that first one because it's, it's a big one. It, adultery, you should not commit adultery or sexual immorality is another translation of that same word. Let's think about it. Adultery within a marriage relationship is not a loving action to the spouse, not a loving action to the family. Just that's not loving. But let's even take it a little bit further. That you understand that that person who you are in that, that uh, relationship or that sin with, it's not loving to them either. I've heard people say, you know, well, I just, using the term, I just fell in love and I couldn't help myself and that's where that came from. Do do you recognize that's not love? Love shows restraint. Love shows the best interest for them. And if they're involved in that within, you're not loving. It's not because you love them so much. It's that you love them too little. Because that's not love at all. In fact, anything outside what, what God has designed for the, for the marriage relationship, one man, one woman, li- one lifetime, that commit- commitment of marriage before you enter into the, the relationships of marriage, that, that commitment that God has, that's the way God says love. And anything outside of that, if you're not able to control yourself, that's not love. That's just lustful desires that we're not controlling. That's not loving anyone. He says love doesn't commit Adultery, and, and he goes on to say, and it wouldn't be loving to commit murder. That's not a loving action. Or to steal from someone or to covet, say, I wish you didn't have that and I had it. That All of those things, those are not loving actions. And, and God makes it clear that love, if we're going to say we love, is not just a feeling. In fact, he wraps it up. If there any other commands, they're all wrapped up in this one. Love your neighbor. If you would get that one, if you'll love your neighbor, you'll love others, you'll find all the other commands falling into place because it comes back to that. And then verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That love does no harm. People say that's basically a figure of speech that maybe you've heard of. It's, it's defined as when you take a negative and you, you emphasize the negative because you're trying to make the positive come to light. It's like, you know, you're, uh, <laughs> that's not so bad is really saying that's very good, right? You're using a negative to help display the positive. And what, he, what he's saying here is when I say love does no harm, what he's really saying is love does what is for the best benefit of others. Love does no harm means I want what's best for that other 
person. Love does no harm means I want the bit. So let's take all of those commands, look at them that way. I, uh, you shall not commit adultery. What he really, the, the point is this, if I really love, then I'm going to hold my vow sacred and I'm going to love that person no matter what. That's, that's the point. It's not just a, the nod, it's the, what, it, what it positively says. It says, I'm not going to murder. Well, that means I'm going to have the best interest. I'm going to protect their, them. I'm going to want what's best. I want their well-being. I'm not going to steal, okay? That means I'm going to protect what's of someone else's. I'm going to make sure that they, their, their best interest in their property is taken care of, and I'm not going to covet. I'm going to rejoice when my neighbor, my friend, even if I'm not there, I, even if they're not my, my, in my circle of people that, that necessarily like me, I can still love them and want what's best for them. Here's the point. Love does what is in the best interest. Of, it's an action of doing what is best for other people. Love does no harm. It could also mean love does not wish harm. Have you ever found yourself at least under your breath rejoicing when someone who's hurt you gets what, what was coming to them? Ha <laughs> ha, God finally got them. Now, I'm sure you've, you're too holy to ever have said that, but down deep we've had those thoughts of, I hope they get it, or I'm glad that they got it. And love does no harm. I want what's best for them, even if, if they have done disservice to me. Love does no harm. I, I was intrigued. There's a phrase I heard, and I found it, it's actually in the medical community. It's not really part of the Hippocratic Oath, but it's something that many of them use, and that's where they say, some say, that first, doctors do no harm. It's a phrase that's used. It's a debated phrase, because here's the point. If you say, first, I do no harm, what about when they have to cut your neck and put one of those things in your throat? That's causing some harm, wouldn't you say? Or what if they have to do surgery like they did in some of us and have to take some pieces out? Well, that's doing harm, correct? However, it's doing harm that actually promotes healing. Do you recognize Christians sometimes in our life as brothers and sisters, we love each other, and, and we have a brother that we have to hold accountable. We have a sister. It, yes, the Bible says we're to love and encourage to ex- and to pray for and to, to love, care for our brothers and sisters. But it also says we have to correct them and maybe even rebuke them or exhort them. We come alongside and in love we say, and, and some of those hurt at the beginning. But what it is is trying to help them come to healing. So when he says love does no harm, it's literally I want what's best for that person that I say that I love. Here's how John put it. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show that truth by our actions. And the greatest example we have of that, two verses before in 1 John, is Jesus himself. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. But you think about that for a moment. We're, we're using this idea of the picture of debt. Do you realize Jesus laying down his life for us was the premier example of a debt being paid? Because you and I as sinners owe a debt to God because of our sin that we cannot pay. We'll never be able to come to a reconciliation. We can't do that on our own. So Jesus gave his life for us. He laid down his life. He died in our place for our sins And in so doing, he was paying our debt. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, some of the last words he said, one phrase, three words, it is finished. Which means 
this is coming to a conclusion. He was about to take his last breath. It also means that salvation is finished. This was the plan through all the ages. But that word itself is so specific. The word finished literally is it was an accounting term that means to discharge or to pay off a debt. Jesus said it is finished. He was literally saying paid in full. And when you re- recognize you are a debtor to a holy God and you recognize your need of a, sa- of a savior and you repent of your sins and you believe Jesus died and rose for you and you receive his gift, what Jesus then parks upon your life is paid in full. I laid down my life for you and those debts are no longer your concern. I paid them. That's what Jesus did for us. But I want us to continue with that verse because now we know this is what Jesus did. This is what love is. He laid down his life for us. But the last part of that verse goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. There's that example. Jesus paid the debt of our sin And now because we have experienced that love, we've experienced that sacrifice, now that word ought, it's that same word. It's the debt. It's that obligation. Now we ought, based on what we've received from God, we ought to love others, lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Got a couple questions for you. Has there been a point in your life when you received this gift of love that Jesus died for? You owe a gift, you owe a debt because of your sin and Jesus gave you a gift when he laid down his life for you. Have you received that gift? Has there been a point when you knew your sin and you repented and turned to Jesus and received his gift of salvation? If not, you could do that today. If you have received God's gift and you know you're one of his kids, then recognize the fact that as you've received all his love and his forgiveness And that debt has been paid. Now he says, and now because of that, you you have a love that I want you to give to the world. I want you to share my love with those you're going to meet today. Those that are a little hard to love. Maybe it's even a, a, a person that you struggle with to love. Or maybe a group of people that you struggle with to love. But it's a the idea of God... I have this debt. I, have, I know that you have called me and you will give me the strength and the, the ability to love. What do we do with that, Christians? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll give you a chance to just kind of chew on what we've talked about today. But please first answer that initial question. Has there been a point in your life when you recognized your debt of sin and you realized Jesus died for you and you received his gift of salvation? If not, even even right now in the quietness of this moment, would you just call out to him and say, God, I I get it. I understand that I'm a sinner and I do thank you and believe that you died and rose again for me. Please forgive me. Save me. I repent of my sin. I want to follow you with my life. Would you do that today? And then Christians, I I would just challenge you to think through some of those people that are in your life. Some of them are easier to love than others. Some of them are going to find some difficulty. Some you're going to face today may be a little harder to love than others. But can you recognize God has given me so much that I'm indebted to give that love to others. I'm commanded to give that love to others. 
What is God saying to you? What's, what's the work that he's doing in your life today? Father, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. And I thank you with just utmost thanksgiving and praise that you sent your son to die for me. Lord, I, I pray that um, I'll never let that get old in my life and that also I will recognize because of what you've done for me, there is a whole world that I'm going to meet. Some of them I, I won't have met yet until I see them today, but there's a people that need love and you've given me the resource to love them. Help me to, to do that. I thank you, God, for showing that to me. Lord, if there's one here in this audience who's yet to receive Christ as their Savior, please let them come to you today and receive that gift paid in full for their sins. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and we just spend some time hopefully talking to the Lord. If you have questions, please fill that out on your connection card or come and speak to me. I'd love to talk with you about what we've discussed today, but let's just take some time here and just reword our thoughts to God about what he's said to us today.